What up? Cautiously optimistic, my favorite podcast of all time. Now everybody telling me a lie. Brody, give me something for my soul. Welcome back to Cautiously Optimistic. This is episode 81. We have reached the 81 milestone, just like Kobe Bryant did in 2006 against the Toronto Raptors. But, you know, 13 years later, 12 years later, whatever it is, I can't do the math. We are here, and my name is Nick Osteller. That'll be 12 years there, uh, and my name is Jesse Brummel. Seems like a pretty obvious 18 minus 6, and I'm Sully Angles. <laughs> and we are back. Yes, I was never that good at math, and it shows here. And another thing that kind of revealed itself this past week related to Kobe, something that broke Twitter airwaves yesterday, the flinch moment against Matt Barnes and the Magic, there was caught by a different angle, and people are making a fuss out of this, saying that it's not as cool or it's not as, you know, amazing as what he did because the ball was not directly in front of his face. I have my own thoughts on this, but let's toss it to you guys. What do you guys think? Are you, I know Sully, you posted on Twitter that this is a devastating photo. That was the thing, is that it was devastating because you never like to see, you know, Kobe uh, knock down a peg like that. But what was interesting about the whole situation is that it was wrapped up in about a day. You know, my initial tweet was seeing uh, Rob Perez, while the lob, the king of NBA Twitter, in my mind, post about it. He said the same thing. It was devastating. Uh, you know, ruined his whole life. But then later in the day, uh, I think it was ESPN posted a video and zoomed in on just how close that ball got to his face. So in a matter of about 12 hours, that whole thing was brought up and then brought to a resolution, which was nice. Um, and again, you know, it does a, I think it's just as impressive after watching that second video uh, where you get to see Kobe, the ball literally is about a, a, an inch from his face. And in a screenshot like that, you don't see Kobe swaying. So, you know, we knew he would be unfazed. Uh, and that, that that remains true to this day. Yeah, that's the other part that that, is, that you mentioned is, you know, you, you we had the whole day, first the breaking news and everybody's like, this is insane. And then, videos come out from above, pictures come out from above, and you see the swaying, and even if he wasn't swaying, and even if it was just in the angle, it still would have hit him in the face. Like, it doesn't, I don't think it changed anything for me. Um, you look at that, and Barnes confirmed back then, like not yesterday, but like back in the day, he confirmed, yeah, I did, like I was faking it at Kobe's face. Kobe said the same thing, I think yesterday actually, that he got a comment out of him, um, saying that it doesn't change anything, like, it was outraged by non-Lakers fans by because they were duped into this. And then Lakers fans were a little sad at first, but then it got better when they realized, okay, no, this was real. This was still, this is still an iconic moment. And that, the, the, the lure of that gif, gif, sorry, uh, should never change. Yeah, this was a classic example of people trying to bring Kobe down, tarnish his name, as they did throughout his entire career. I, I feel like nobody truly appreciated Kobe for what he was until the very end when you know he got this uh, little farewell tour there. And this was another example. You know, He has a lot of haters outside of LA, but we are an LA podcast. We always will stand by Kobe and what he does. And sure enough, uh, you know, it became true. We saw the angle. He was still, as we said, very close to that ball. And pretty much anybody else would have flinched in that situation. So. Okay, if we're gonna be like uh, take some geometry classes here, it's not gonna like a 90 degree angle, 45 degree angle. It doesn't matter. It was still close enough. So, um, just a classic example and something I felt we really needed to bring up here on episode 81. I'm, I'm definitely glad we did because I I was feeling away about it yesterday and I was excited because we were gonna get to pod. And then I'm glad that everything played out the way it did so that it wouldn't have to be an angry discussion from us because 
my take was the same either way. Even if it was that one picture that came out, my take would have been the same here, is that it's still as great as uh, it was this whole time. Yeah, nothing changes. I think that's kind of what it's come down to. Uh, and I think you had a good point there, Nick. It's hard to appreciate. I think much of Kobe's career is being uh, further appreciated now he's into his retirement. And I think he also announced a new um, like rehabilitation or you know body enhancement thing that he's the co-sponsor of today too so post-basketball kobe continues to be very very busy yeah the lineup on that i I also don't know what it's called i just saw the instagram this morning but the lineup on it is crazy you have uh, you know ryan sheckler juju smith is in there javi baez is in there the lineup of people involved in that is really really dope yeah, Kobe's making moves, you know, every other week it seems like in some sort of some sort of investment, some sort of project. And speaking of making moves, we woke up to some pretty big news of ourselves uh, for our own podcast here. Uh, Sully, you have now the blue check mark on Twitter. You are verified. We are actually now a verified podcast uh, because you are on this, and we are very proud of you. How does it feel to have that momentous blue check mark? Wow, you know, it's uh, as I said on Twitter, I'm still the same guy. You know, I remain humble, um, but you do. It is weird having this new verification because a couple things, there's like random people follow you that don't really need to have follow you, but like more power to them if they want to. Um, you feel like you have a greater power in the like searching ability. Like I tweeted some things out yesterday that weren't necessarily like, I, they weren't like crazy tweets or anything that are groundbreaking, but I had more random people following me. So it is interesting that that, and I will say, share some inside information with you guys that I haven't really ever heard anyone talk about. When you're verified, you can go to your notifications, and you have an all, and you have the mentions like normal. But then there's a whole third column for just verified people who follow you to uh, basically like just keep that. So I guess that's how really high-profile people with like you know 50,000 followers, if someone that is verified tweets at them, you can just see verified people who talk to you. So mine essentially is just. Marin and Jovan and like three other people from work. Yeah, I think that I think it's the same thing on Instagram where you can set like your notifications when you get to that point where you get that blue check on the gram where you can get to the point where you can set your notifications to um, only like people you follow and then which is what you can do now but then also verified people. Which yeah, is, it's a weird world to be in. And I told you guys before the pod started, you know, I didn't really do anything. My station did all of this, so Shouts to KSNT, but it is an interesting world to be a part of. And, uh, you know, I, I, I will remain humble, humble. I'll remain hungry. This doesn't change anything. You know, it's still cautiously positive. We're still working on our verification, even though we haven't taken any steps to accomplish that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is one of the steps right there. You know, one third of the podcast is now verified. So I think that's definitely a step in the right direction. And uh, thank you for taking us behind the scenes of Twitter there, because, you know, we are all big Twitter guys. We're always on there. And, to kind of understand how the verified world works, you know, taking us behind the curtain. I think that is a good filter mechanism for them for so people can, you know, see who, you know, tweets at them and wants want to respond to them rather than all the trolls and all the hundreds of thousands of people on there. So that is interesting. Yeah, it, it is interesting, I think, and it's like kind of a good way to do it. And I was mentioning to you guys yesterday, you just pick up some like random followers. Like this dude who was on Zoe101 followed me. Um, Which one? His name is his actor's name is Cregan Dow. I don't know. And do you know what his character name? I love Zoe One Hundred One. I know you do. That's why I had to bring it up for you, Jesse, um, because he was uh, he puts it, it's in his bio, so I assume it was a big part of his career. 
He is Jeremiah Trotman. Jeremiah Trotman. Well, give me a couple of seconds, and I'm going to figure out who Re- this was. Really big fan you are. <laughs> yeah, right? Shows you, Jesse. So fun fact about uh, Jeremiah Trotman, Creek and Dow. He, he wasn't a huge part of uh, the show. Like, I recognize him. Big enough to be in his bio. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, I would too if I was on Zoe 101. Even if I was only in one episode, I, I 100% <laughs> would have done it. Like, he was recurring, but he wasn't like... Um, yeah. But the the best part about this is me and him have a few similarities. Uh, both born on May first. Wow! Um, and then he also <laughs> was in the movie Ant Bully, and uh, <laughs> this is this is why this is fun. His he was the voice of the character Mullet Boy. Wow! <laughs> so me and me and Jeremiah got some some uh, similarities yeah. here, and I'm I'm proud to share a birthday with him. And you know, hey, I think we found our next guest on the podcast. Yeah, I think that well, I'll reach out to him. I can slide his DMs, see what he's doing, uh, and you know that could be a fun little thing. I'm sure he's a big sports guy. I'm also looking. At, I'm looking at his little bio here, and uh, <laughs> it's pretty. I mean, his birthday might not be May first because I'm looking at it, and it says it's May first, but then uh, May first, 1991, and then in parentheses it says age 24. So if you do that math, <laughs> does not add up. So who knows how accurate this is. And this is already too much math on the podcast for my taste. So anyway, that has been, uh, you know, a very enlightening moment there. We're very proud of Sully. We're proud to see you keep going. Very good coverage of the Kansas State, a little awkward moment there in the interview yesterday. Um, Yeah, did you guys like that? That was, like, it was one of the weirdest, like, I haven't been in many press conferences, obviously, but that was certainly the strangest one. And being around someone that's going to be, already is in the NCAA Football Hall of Fame for for now is crazy but then to hear him kind of go off kilter like that and off script especially someone who's so known for being polite you know not only did he say those comments bill snyder were talking about here but he also i think at every press conference essentially he wraps up gets the final question but he has a kind of a mediator there who works for the athletic department to make sure we don't go too far with him but uh usually he says thank you like smiles and walks away yesterday he just got up and left so it was an interesting day for sure at kansas state It is the beginning of October. A lot of people are excited about Halloween or Thanksgiving next month or even Christmas the month after that. But to the real fans out there, it's time for postseason baseball. And for the sixth year in a row, the Dodgers are NL West champs. It doesn't get much better than that. In the rest of their franchise's history, they have not gone to the playoffs more than back-to-back years, two in a row. So to be a fan at this point is, is pretty good. And once again, here's hoping that this is the year, guys. And what do you think about their playoff chances going forward and about that crazy game, 163? It feels really good, obviously. We are all Dodger fans here on the podcast, and this season was not easy. Definitely a bigger challenge than last year. But at the end of the day, as Dave Roberts predicted on Twitter, um, well, he was there was a tweet about it in April that Dave Roberts said the Dodgers will be at the top of the division. But when it's all said and done and the Rockies and Diamondbacks had little smirk emojis at that and look he you know he comes true comes true at the end Dodgers are here at the top of the division they beat the Rockies who put up a very good fight there in the division winning you know seven eight in a row there but when it came down to it Dodgers first Rockies Dodgers sweep the Rockies then uh, beat them in the 163 which was our first 163 of our lifetimes I believe it was an interesting experience to see that play out um, but you know here we are we got home field advantage against the Braves 
And like we said before, it's just all about getting in, and once you're in, anything can happen. And I trust these, I trust these guys in this team. Yeah, it was interesting too. I mean, I, I got home just in time to start watching 163, and then watching that, it was nerve-wracking. But then obviously, you know, once a couple bombs went over Cody and Max, they did their thing. It was, you know, you're, you're a little more relaxed. But then it made me think of, you know, watching the Rockies Cubs yesterday. It was like, well. Uh, I don't think I could have gone through this. So, like, I was so glad that that they won because going through something like that would have been horrific as a fan. And I mean, even as some, we went through it so many times last postseason, so many different ways with Game Five, Game Seven, whatever it may be. Um, but it was nice to, to come out on top. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of in, I'm, I'm trying to enjoy this ride for what it is because it's so different from last year. I'm trying to sit here and be like, okay. Um, and I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times on here. It's like. This might be better for us that we've had to struggle and we've had to really fight for it, even in the season, because um, it's already taught us what to do in the postseason and, and what's ahead. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. And, and after last night, I don't know, uh, the, the NL is so up in the air, so it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, it was being a part of a wild card playing game like that is, is literally a nightmare, you know, because to me, you know, football obviously you play 16 weeks. It's a do or die situation like that. Basketball doesn't have anything like that. Uh, us being big hockey guys, hockey doesn't have anything like that. But in baseball to play for so long and then have every single other series, every other game you play be a part of a series throughout the season. Then you get to the final game and you have one game to win. It's madness. And, and baseball can be so up and down. Um, you saw last night. I, I think a lot of people think the Rockies had a chance playing three games on the road in three different time zones in three days and then still beating a team that a lot of people thought may even had a chance to win the World Series this year. Um, it showed a lot about the Rockies' toughness, but also it was, it was good for the Dodgers, I think, because in a seven-game series, I think the Cubs are going to win that or even a five-game series. Um, and now they don't. the Dodgers wouldn't have to deal with the Cubs team. And I think they've proven they can beat the Rockies. Um, and the one weird part was that the Rockies' bullpen – performed extremely well last night obviously the game going into the 13th and that's kind of been the thing that had held them back from just running away with the division this year so good for them uh, but they have a quite a task ahead of them playing the brewers who showed on monday just how good they were and how dominant their bullpen is yeah just watching that game last night the stress you know as you said jesse it's like that's the exact reason why you don't want to be in that game and then if you're a cubs fan i mean how tough is that you know the brewers come in on monday swipe the division from you after their eight-game winning streak as the Cubs had like a five-game lead in that division in September. The very next day, the Rockies come in and end their season. So that's two different teams celebrating on your home field, and then your season's over. I don't know you know, how much worse it gets for a sports fan, although they do have the 2016 World Series to fall back on. But again, I would not want to be a Cubs fan if I were them right now. And um, also, the Rockies, you know, as you were saying, Sully, it's like they're going through all these time zones and playing all these different teams and games. It's like at some point, you have to give them credit for that and give them maybe more of a shot against the Brewers because teams like this, when they're just kind of like playing with house money, playing with nothing to lose, I mean, they obviously have their season to lose, but they're just kind of like playing these different games going all around and they're winning. It's like, those are, those are the kind of teams that I personally fear in October and would I wouldn't be so quick to um, you know, give them like a... I, I would give them more of a shot against the Brewers, in my opinion. Well, I just think when you look at that Brewers team, they're set up so well for postseason success. And they've been through that same kind of ringer that the Rockies have and have done better. You know, they had a giant comeback. People counted them out from the division. Uh, I think they're five or more games back in August or maybe even into September. 
going went in Chicago and you just saw good how good that bullpen is. And they didn't even use their closer yesterday. They stuck with Hader for two innings. Um, and they kind of have that, that same setup as that 2015 Royals team, if you can remember them being here out near Kansas City. But you're reminded of that often. But essentially it's like if you can get to the sixth inning with a lead, they have three dominant relievers who are throwing 97 miles an hour plus from funky angles with plus breaking stuff. So you just shorten the game in that sense. And it's something I've always wanted the Dodgers to do and they just haven't ever really done. You know, they really just have Kenley there at the back. Um, it, it makes it so much easier to win in the postseason when you have guys who can just go out three different styles, all as equally effective and just dominate opposing hitters. Um, they just don't have any time to adjust. And, and if you have a solid offense, especially for the Brewers with Kristen Yelich, Lorenzo Cain, his postseason experience, Mustak's postseason experience, um, Aguilar has played well. They, they have a lot of weapons on that team. I definitely think, you know, not to make prediction too early, I don't know if we're going to do that later, but I think the Brewers and Dodgers are going to meet in the NLCS, and it's going to be an absolute dogfight. Yeah, it's crazy you make that prediction right now, and it's kind of one of the things that I, I was thinking about yesterday is that if you would have told me that three weeks ago that the Cubs would be out of the playoffs would not before the Dodgers played their first playoff game, I would have thought you were crazy. But, I mean, it, it goes to show you how good the Brewers have been to take the division from them in their 163. But, um, and I, I admittedly don't know that much about the Brewers. I know they have a good bullpen. I know Yelich is probably the MVP, um, and they got those guys that are there. And Kane, like you said, with the playoff experience. Um, and, again, you talk about the comparisons to those Royals. Kane and Moustakis, I think, were both on that team. So, um they, they definitely have that, and I, I would agree with you. I mean, I don't want to look past the Braves from a Dodgers perspective because, you know, they've been, they've been good all season. they got some guys there for sure, but um, it, it's tough to, to not because, I don't know, I feel like we kind of have their number when it comes to recent times in the playoffs, obviously with the Uribe homer, um, and then they're playing well right now. The Dodgers are playing well. They're fighting. Um, so I, I'm with you there in that prediction that it's going to be Dodgers-Brewers, and then that's going to be uh, nerve-wracking. Yeah, and let's go into that Dodgers-Braves series here. It's going to be a rematch of the 2013 NLDS when the Dodgers uh, won, that game, won that in four games, as you mentioned, with the Uribe home run. We can never forget that. But this team, the Braves, you know, they are kind of here earlier than expected. They were sort of a rebuilding team that got good really fast, and obviously having the, pres- the presumptive rookie of the year, Ronald Acuna, helps with that. They have good hitters. You know, Freddie Freeman is there, and uh, Camargo has stepped up for them, and Nick Marquez is a veteran who's just very consistent. Um, and so, yeah, I wouldn't want to overlook the Braves. I think they've been good. Um, and going into game one, the big news is that Hyunjin Ryu is going to start over Clayton Kershaw, which is, you know, a very big break from the norm where Kershaw is always our game one starter. But this is an interesting move. Um, pushing them each back you know there's still they, Kershaw would have been on regular rest if he started but Ryu has outpitched Kershaw in the past month or so and uh, we were texting a little bit about this yesterday before we are going to talk about it so let's just talk about it now guys what do you guys think of this decision to start Ryu in game one um to me you know I think I was initially the person that had maybe the most pushback from it obviously you want to stay positive and I think between Ryu Kershaw um Bueller and Wood, they're all very solid. They have been. Um, and when you talk about basically how good they've been the last two months, Kershaw has been fantastic besides his last outing right there. Um, but yeah, Ree has been better. And, uh, you know, in the last, in September, his ERA was 1-5. Um, obviously, you know, his win, win-loss is 3-2, but that doesn't matter in baseball. 
he's just been solid. 30-inning pitch in those five starts, so that's at least six a game. Um, and that's kind of what you need in the postseason is someone, you know, it's such a change from the regular season because you kind of let a guy get out there and struggle. If he has a three-run inning, you kind of like, okay, well, we can battle through that. We need to eat up innings. It's not how it works in the postseason. Um, that is the one thing about Ryu is that sometimes they'll have a, a rougher start, and that kind of worries me, especially um, against a team that is so front-loaded in the Braves as far as their lineup goes. Acuna, you know, we saw what he did with his streak of leadoff home runs. Um, and I, I don't think I meant to overlook them, Nick. It's more that the Dodgers should just win this series. They're a better team at this time. As he said, Braves have arrived a little earlier than I think they will. But as far as that starting rotation goes, uh, I've always been a firm believer that you want to put your best guy out there. Um, and I think Kershaw, just being the best pitcher in the major leagues over the last decade, um, a future Hall of Famer, and someone who I thought kind of kind of got past his demons a little bit last postseason, except for maybe one bad start. Uh, I, I would have liked to see him out there, but I, I do feel very confident with Rio taking the mound, uh, Kershaw going game two, and, and Bueller just proved himself so much on Monday. That was a great little teaser for the playoffs because it was a similar environment. Um, and, you know, you can kind of tell a pitcher is very amped up when they continue to miss up in the zone, which he did a lot on Monday. But, you know, for him, when you're throwing 98, you can get away with a few more mistakes. So I expect him to come out for game three when do they do get there and just kind of be ready to go and, and laser focused in, even though it's on the road. I think uh, that that trio right there is, is going to be pretty dominant. Yeah, that Ryu game one start was odd when it came out. You know, I was I was as surprised as anyone. But I think um, looking at it in a different perspective, looking at it in a different light, and I texted this to you guys as well. It's like, well, Ryu takes game one, and then you got to face Kershaw. That's kind of a backbreaker, especially in just a five game series, because then you know that's a tough win. Obviously, it's beating Kershaw is rare in general, and then you saw how Bueller played. So. Um, you get Bueller in game three and it's just like, well, now they have to really, they have to win game one. It feels like. So once they, once they, if they lose it, then they might, their heads might be out of it just off top. And that's a sweep just like last year, you know? So, um, I kind of like it in that sense. And then in the sense of, even if they do lose, which I don't think they will, but even if they do loot drop game one, you can fall back on the fact that you have Kershaw, then Bueller to go two and three, and you can easily go ahead. Well, not easily. Nothing's easy in the playoffs, but it's realistic to say we go take those two games and then we're right back up in the series. Yeah, Ryu has a 1.88 ERA in his last nine starts, and he has a 2.81 ERA in three career postseason starts. So I'm a big believer in writing the hot hand, and yes, Kershaw has the name recognition and is that guy and has been that guy for the Dodgers. I mean, he hasn't been as good lately, and you know, I don't know if he can just turn the turn it on and flip the switch because there was a pretty big, important game in San Francisco that he pitched over the weekend that was like almost a must win and you know he gave up five earned runs and so I'm not I still believe in Kershaw I'm just saying I'm still I I still think he can be a dominant pitcher for the Dodgers I just trust this move I don't dislike the move is what I'm saying and yeah you know what I mean I I get what you're saying but it's not necessarily true that Rio has been better you take off that last start there I think playing against the Giants you were expecting at least one wild game Um, and Kershaw for the most part, has actually been dominant in San Francisco. I think he is the best year rate all time of an opposing pitcher. Uh, but at the 10 starts before that, he had an ERA of 2.55, um, 67 innings pitched, uh, an undefeated record. The team went 8-2 and two in those starts, and he had 60 strikeouts to 12 walks. So it's not like he's been off his game. He's had a much better second half than he did first half. Um, but like you guys said, you know, it's it, – 
it, 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 I like to have them the game, you know, the first game, just because you get it out there, you get it out of the way. There's so much public speculation for this game. This is just personal. I don't think it affects Kershaw at all. But people always talk about, you know, the, the Kershaw and the playoffs, that storyline always will be brought up. So um, I just think it puts a little, maybe a little more pressure on Ryu to have a great start and go out there. But uh, I do love Hyunjin, and I think he has ice in his veins, and I think it should go well either way. One thing, um, one as thing. for the Brewers series, I, I don't know. I, I think it'll be up in the air, and it'll depend on kind of how everything shakes out after these games against the Braves. Yeah, and before I go to the predictions, it would be, I will be interested to hear how Kershaw, if they ever ask him a question about this decision, uh, to hear his thoughts, if he's on board with it, or if he's you know the competitive guy that he is, if he's going to kind of be upset with it in his answer. I mean, it could, they could just not ask him, or it would be tough to tell, but that's something I'm going to be looking for. And um, we're recording this on a Wednesday, so tonight there is the AL wildcard game. If you quickly want to go over that, I know this will probably be released after the game is over, but the A's are going to be going with a bullpen game, only having one starting pitcher on their uh, roster for this game in Yankee Stadium. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, Sully being a relief pitcher. I think it's smart. You know, uh, the Cubs didn't do that last night, and they kind of went with more of, like, they're just going to run their starters out there. Um and it's not that it didn't work. You know, it was a two-one game, so it's good pitching from both sides. But the Rockets, on the other hand, had more of their traditional bullpen guys out there throwing an inning or two. So I do like that move. I think it's smart. And uh, the, the A's have a really good bullpen. You know, they beat it. They built it up with trades, um, and just again, you know, kind of that Moneyball 2.0 mentality. They've picked and, and plotted and, and put some really good guys out there. Um, as far as the prediction goes. Man, it's tough. You kind of have the exact opposite. You have the, uh, I think, uh, as it was posted online, the evil empire versus Moneyball in that sense. Yankees with their 27 championships and their, you know, uh, extremely, extremely wealthy lineup at this point um, versus the A's who just scrap and fight. Um, I, to me, I, my, my gut is telling me the A's just because of that. You know, I don't think this Yankees team is as dominant. I think they may win a World Series in the next couple of years if they can really solidify their pitching. Um, it's going to come down to Severino, who I believe is starting tonight for the Yankees, because last time in his postseason debut, he got lit up and I don't think got out of the first three innings. Um, and his lineup is, is good, man. Chris Davis in 247 for the fourth year in a row, which is amazing. Um, and if he played in any other ballpark in the U.S., he could have 55 or 60 home runs instead of that yard in Oakland. Uh, so I'm going to go with the A's. You know, I just love how gutsy they are. I love the mentality of that team, and I think it plays towards them in a wild-card situation, winner-take-all one game. Yeah, I like the A's too, partially because of things that you just said, um, and Chris Davis with his consistent batting average, I thought was one of my favorite stats of the whole year. Um, and then also because I hate the Yankees. So, uh, you know, I love my guys, Jesus and Mero, but, you know, that doesn't mean I love their team. And, you know, I'd love to see Mike Stanton and, uh, you know, Aaron Judge and those boys go down. Um, that's my favorite thing is to see the Yankees lose. Uh, well, probably second favorite thing behind, nah, probably third favorite thing behind the Giants and then the D-backs. Um, but other than that, I'd say they're, they're up there. So um, I'm going to go with the A's partially for rooting interest, partially because I don't think that the Yankees are ready yet. I, I think that you got those guys like Mike and Aaron Judge. They just strike out all the time, and they're, you know, they're those boomer bust guys. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, in the playoffs, it's not just home runs. So they got to figure things out there. Yeah, I like the Mike Stanton reference there. And um, what I'm not sure what you're talking about. It's his name, Nick. It's his name. I guess that's his name. Yeah. 
Anyway, I'm also going with you guys here. I, I really like the A's. I mean, they have a great bullpen. So do the Yankees. But and you mentioned this uh, about Severino, Sully. Yeah, he only got one out last year, I think, in his opening day in his opening playoff start, and um, he has been pretty bad in the second half of the season. And the A's, you know, they're here. They, they everyone talks about their bullpen, and that's what they're going to do. That's the story of the game. They're going to you know start a reliever and kind of go from there. But as you mentioned, they have great hitters, not just Chris Davis, but guys like Matt Chapman and those guys. Um, even, like, Simeon has power, and they just have, you know, Jed Lowry. They're, they're a solid team that I think that being in Yankee Stadium won't phase them. Um, I think the pressure is more on the Yankees here being at home, having to be in a wild-card game when they should have won the division if they were in any other division. So I like the A's as well. And uh, do you guys want to move up into the other bracket of the American League, uh, the Indians and the Astros? Yeah, sure. We can start that up. I think that's going to be a crazy series as well. You know, you have two teams now that are both uh, World Series tested and have had success. Um, it's hard to root against the Astros. I mean, easy to root against the Astros. It's hard to pick against them just because of how experienced they are at this point, how dominant they are. You know, that team is better than last year's team as far as the starting pitching goes. Um, they, you know, they are very good. I think people are almost sleeping on them a little bit at this point, and maybe that's just because there's been so much made about everything else, and they kind of just handled their business this year and are back in the playoffs. But I don't even know. It's I think this may be one of the hardest ones to pick, because I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think, because the Indians are really good too, and they have that scrappy mentality. They didn't necessarily have the record that it's the, all the other teams in the AL had this year, um, but I think it could go to five games, and I think the Astros would win. I think that uh, what you mentioned about the fact that the people I think are sleeping on the Astros is pretty accurate because I think like a casual baseball fan, someone who's not really as tuned in maybe as you are, uh, hasn't even been thinking about the Astros because they, they're consistently good and it's like, all right, well, no one's surprised by the fact that they're hitting and they're pitching and they're, they're playing well all year again. So the fact that they're almost just sliding in there unnoticed is kind of scary in the sense that, all right, well, it's playoff time now and I think that goes for them to go kind of make, go on a charge here um, and I think the Astros will take that series as well yeah again I agree but I think it's not going to be as close as maybe you think Sully I, I really like the Astros and I think the Indians are slightly overrated because of the division they played in which was one of the worst divisions in baseball so I'm actually going to give the Astros a sweep in this series is uh, that a shot at the Twins Nick? yes that is that is a direct shot at the Twins but mostly the Tigers and Royals um, so I'm going to give them a sweep, and then they're going to go over to play the Red Sox, or maybe not, uh, the Red Sox A's. What do you guys think of that series? Same thing there. I think that's going to be a really close series. You kind of have the same idea as this just one game today with the Yankees and A's because of you know the evil empire. Boston kind of has the same thing going. You're going to spend a billion dollars on J.D. Martinez this offseason. Um, the best, most wins in franchise history for that team this year. Um, I, I think it'll be too much for the A's to overcome. Uh, just because of how deep that team is and how, I mean, they just rake, man. You know, I think the A's do too, but it'll be interesting. You could have some, like, 12, 11 games in Boston during that series just because of how wild that ballpark is going to be and how weird it's going to play. Um, but I think the Red Sox would win that one in, like, five or six games. Yeah, I think the Red Sox handle pretty easily as well. Um, I think that they're just too good. You saw it throughout the year. They didn't do what I know the Dodgers were on that record pace last year and then slowed down. The, the Red Sox never had that, like, almost screeching halt or that slowdown period that the Dodgers had um, last year. So 
they seem like they're in the right headspace. They got guys everywhere. Uh, J.D. Martinez was such a big pickup for them that it just improved how good they were. So, uh, yeah, I got the, the Red Sox there as well. And no surprise here. I also have the Red Sox, but I think it will be a little bit tougher. I think this could go to six or seven um, just because – this is something that I've heard like Bill Simmons talk about. He's a big Red Sox fan. Um, I don't know if other Red Sox fans feel the same way, but maybe Wait, they... Simmons is a Boston guy? That's weird. I didn't yeah, know I, heard, I heard something about that. And, uh, yeah, and he was saying you know, he's worried that the Red Sox may have peaked too soon, which has some merit to it. As we were with the Dodgers last year, you know, we also had that same sort of doubt heading into the playoffs. I believe you mentioned it, Sully, on this very podcast, how you were wondering if they were maybe at peak too soon in September and then... Um, heading into the playoffs it didn't seem to be a problem for the Dodgers until they you know, obviously met their match in the World Series but it's something to monitor with the Red Sox um, especially against a team like the A's who you know does have the bullpen built for a postseason series however I think the Red Sox offense is just too uh, too good with uh, Betts and Martinez either of those guys could have been the MVP of this team or the MVP of the league so I think the Red Sox will escape um, in like seven games maybe the win in Boston Fenway it'll be exciting for them um, which would lead us to an Astros, Red Sox, and an ALCS. Those two teams faced off in the ALDS last year. Obviously, the Astros won. Uh, do you guys think the Astros will beat the Red Sox again, or the Red Sox uh, going to turn the tables this year? Man, that's it's going to be an absolute battle in that series. Um, you have a bunch of dominant starters on both sides. You have stacked lineups on both sides. It kind of is, is sort of is reminiscent of the Dodgers Astros World Series last year. I think it definitely goes seven games, um, but I'm going to go with the Red Sox. I I, I think they kind of were so far ahead. They've kind of just been cruising in. Um, they're ready to go. Both teams sort of had, but I think that they have built a team. I love Mookie Betts. Um, JD Martinez is, as we've mentioned, is is just phenomenal and is a clutch hitter too. Uh, Astros obviously had that World Series experience coming off last year. But it's really rare teams get back-to-back experiences like that, um, which I know doesn't exactly sound great for the Dodgers, but I'm going to go with the Red Sox. That's just my gut pick. It, it really is a, a flip of the coin in this one, though. Those teams are both very, very talented, and I think uh, either one of them could win, but I just have a feeling the Red Sox will. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go, uh, obviously, a tight, tight series. I think I'm going to go the opposite way, though. I think that I don't know if I trust – guys like Price and Sale when you get down like that deep in the playoffs. Um, you know, Price has had his issues, of course, well-documented, and, and Chris Sale hasn't been there that much. So, um, And then going with the Astros experience from last year um, and how well they pitched um, going down the, the line. So um, I'm just going to lean on the fact that the Astros have a little bit of experience when it comes to that. I think uh, the pitching is what's going to do it, whereas – the hitting, I think if it was just hitting, I mean, obviously the Astros have an incredible offense too, but uh, yeah, it's it's going to be back and forth every game. Um, it's going to be an exciting series, but I'm just going to, I'm the same way in the sense that I'm just, my gut says the Astros there. Well, I'm glad we have a little bit of variance on our picks at some point here. Um, I'm going to go with Jesse and also take the Astros here. Just I just have too much respect for them. Obviously, as a Dodgers fan, we experienced it firsthand uh, last year, and the Red Sox, like I said, I do wonder if they are, you know, not quite at their best right now. 
Whereas I think the Astros have just been kind of waiting and they've been playing some meaningful, meaningful games in September against the A's and Mariners and those kind of teams. Brush them aside to win the division again. And uh, they have that experience. You know, they know how to win in the playoffs. They just did it last year. And I think they can go toe-to-toe with the Red Sox, um, with that pitching, with Verlander, Garrett Cole. Um, I think they're built for it. They're built for a slugfest. It, I think it's going to be an amazing series. I think it could also go to six or seven games, but I'm going to take the Astros to win probably like a game six or seven in Fenway um, and head back to the World Series again. I mean, it'll be interesting, man. Like I said, it, it's going to be a battle. It'll go either way. Um, I'm assuming just on the National League side, can we, we're all going to go Dodgers-Brewers? Yeah. Nick, I, I feel like you may not, though. Did you want to say you you're really big on the Rockies there a second ago? Do you think they can overcome the Brewers? Yeah, despite what I said, um, I think – Every home team is going to win the series, so that's going to give the Brewers the 3-2 victory in that best of five. So uh, I just think it's going to be closer than most people are thinking. But, yeah, I think the Brewers will uh, escape that series and face the Dodgers, who I think will beat the Braves in about four games. I think the Braves may get one in Atlanta. So are you predicting Kershaw loses? Um, you know, it's tough. I, I think... That's kind of what you just said. It is what you just said, I think. You would oh, that is what I just said, yeah, four games, game, yeah. Um, I, mean, I actually think that Braves will get one in... Let me, re, let, me, let me take that back. I misspoke. I got confused about the series. <laughs> I actually think the Braves are going to win one at Dodger Stadium, but the Dodgers are going to win both in Atlanta, and so it's going to be a four-game uh, four series. Dodgers win 3-1 to one to face the Brewers. I got a sweep, but... Yeah, I do too. I think they're going to sweep... Um, that's just me, though. That's just how I feel. And so Dodgers-Brewers, anyone have a pick besides the Dodgers? Anyone have anything they want to discuss in that, or do we all think Dodgers? It'll be a little tough, but I, I, I'm not too worried personally, but that's also how I am. I, people have uh, described me as the most optimistic and cocky fan that they know. So um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm not going to say it's a sweep, but, I, yeah, I'm not too – and saying that is probably not the best thing that I'm not too worried, but I know they're a good team, but I, yeah, I still got I got the Dodgers. Yeah, in my mind, it goes six or seven games. Um, I mean, the Dodgers win, but I think it's going to be a really tight series. As I discussed before, the Brewers have that kind of lockdown pen, like the Royals did in 15, like other teams have had. And if you get down early, it's hard to come back on that team. So I think the Dodgers will take care of business, but I think the Brewers are – a battle, you know, and like as much as it hurts to, to say, like they if they want beat the Dodgers, I don't think you it, it could happen. You know, it's it's much closer than I think the Dodgers NLCS last year. Um, assuming they all get there, it's it's going to be crazy just because this Brewers team is so slept on. Um, in my mind, you know, I, I like this Brewers team a lot, just personally. You know, I think I like a lot of the players on it. I really love Christian Yelich. He's oh, we been know. on a fantasy team the last three years, um, but. And then I also remember that they're in Wisconsin, and so all these fans are also Packers fans, and so it makes it easier for me to root against them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it should be a very fun series if it gets to that point, Dodgers-Brewers. However, as I said before, I think the Brewers are going to expend a lot of energy, more energy than they would have wanted in the Rocky series, which will benefit the Dodgers, who I think will get past the Braves, like I said, in quickly in four games, maybe less, as you guys think. So in that sense, I think the Brewers may have exhausted their energy that got them to this point. Um, as we always say, you know, you want to be the hot hand rolling in, and the Brewers are certainly that. Um, but I think 
once they get to the postseason where they haven't been in a while, it is a different ball game. We know that. Not to be a cliche about it, but it is very different. If the Dodgers have the experience, the Brewers do not. Besides some of those guys, like on, on the offense, like you said, um, the pitching though, I think will be tax going to Colorado. And I think the Dodgers, they'll make life easier for the Dodgers who will win in six or less games in the NLCS, NLCS to head back for a World Series rematch with the Astros. And uh, that's, that's all I really want, to be honest. I, I want uh, Dodgers redemption. I want them to have the chance to face the Astros again. That's a good point. I, I'm also on the same way where it's like, I want the Astros. If we win the World Series, like, yeah, sure, it'll feel great no matter who we beat. But I want the Astros just to, you know, it, it'll feel a little bit sweeter. It's like how the Lakers and the Celtics were even back in the day, like 08, and then got the redemption in 2010. I, I'm sort of looking at it the same way here. Um, yeah, bring on the Astros, and that's, that's the beeline I'm looking for. So, to the World Series, guys, you know, the, the grand finale of these playoffs, the most exciting time in sports in my mind, and you guys probably have other opinions, but I think the MLB postseason is the best. So, to cap it off, Dodgers versus whoever you picked, a prediction. What do you think? What's going to happen? Uh, I mean, I, I kind of just said what I needed to say last uh, last round there is that I'm a very confident fan. Um, but w- what I go back to is there's a lot of guys. I think there's even more on this team than last uh, team, last year's team that um, give you really good at-bats. Guys like Muncy is going to give you a great at-bat every single time. When you get into the playoffs, it's a different game, like you guys have both said. So, um you, you almost are extending games. Every bat matters way more. Um, and, you know, even when you're facing a tough bullpen like uh, the Brewers would have. But it everybody's going to give you a really good at bat, and it's going to make you work that much harder. And that taxes a team throughout the game. Um, and that's what I keep falling back on with the Dodgers is that even guys who in the past haven't given good at bats. You know, Puig two years ago wasn't giving good at bats, but now he is. Um, these guys are just uh, while they've slumped a lot throughout this season I don't see that happening in the playoffs and and that's what I'm going to fall back I'm going to fall back on the fact that I think this team can hit against anyone uh when they're all focused and bunkered down on it um and that's why I'm taking the Dodgers yeah here at Cautiously Optimistic I doubt we're going to take anybody else besides the Dodgers here and I think this series will be as I said a redemption for the Dodgers I think they'll be just playing out of their minds by the time they get to that series. Um, Machado, I think, is going to have an amazing World Series against the Astros, against a team that he's faced a lot, probably in the American League, knows those pitches a little bit more than the Dodgers players did last year. Um, and I just think it's going to be time. They're going to take with, take the heartbreak of last season and turn it into uh, a championship, similar, as I said, to how the Lakers did with the Celtics. Um, I'm saying maybe it's not going to go past six games. I think the Dodgers are going to be ready and more hungry for this championship um, after all the struggles they've been through this year relative to how they've been in the past, obviously. It's kind of a nice problem to have when you know we won the division six straight years, but I'm talking struggles compared to how hard it was to get here. Um, that's my prediction. I think the Dodgers will get it done. Machado will be uh, the MVP in my mind. Wow, that's good. I mean, they need it. You know, that's where they went out and got them. That's what they did. For me, I, you know, it's the same thing. I, I think this is, as I do every year now at this point, I think this is the year. Not going to be against my team. Um, they got starting pitching, especially with Walker Bueller. I think he's a game changer. We haven't talked about him too much yet so far, but he's been absolutely dominant, and I think it's going to carry over. You know, we've seen young pitchers succeed in the playoffs before. He may have one bad start, but when it comes down to it, he just 97 to 98 with plus breaking pitches. And the deeper they go in the playoffs, the more comfortable he'll get. I think. 
Um, so I got to go with, with the Dodgers in this, and I think it'll be another seven game, which probably isn't good for my health, uh, you know, mentally or physically. I don't know if I can handle taking those years off my life again, but it would all be worth it for a Dodgers World Series win. So you're saying Dodgers over the Red Sox. Is that correct, Sully? Yeah, that was my pick. Yeah, so if that does happen, um, I may have to go back. I may have to go back to the studio with Blueberry and uh, check out a game there with uh, Boston sports fan Henry Moffley. But Absolutely. Please rub it right in his face. Uh, <laughs> the worst fans in sports, so he, does, he would deserve that. Yeah, uh, Blue and I will have a good time over there. But that has been our baseball preview. Again, uh, tonight is the A's, Yankees, and then it all starts um, probably when this podcast is released, Dodgers and Braves on Thursday. It should be fun, and uh, we are very much looking forward to it. Switching gears a bit, what a week four it was in the NFL. Um, Started with a hotly contested game here on the podcast, uh, but throughout the, the weekend it was a lot of good fun matchups um, but we are going to start there with Rams Vikings uh, and I'm going to just quickly say lived up to the hype um, and I think that this goes to why it was such a heated discussion last week on the pod um, because both of these teams I mean it looked like an NFC championship preview um, you know you have two teams with two of the best defenses in the league and these offenses are just running all over them so it was a lot of fun to watch and it was even more fun just knowing how good these teams are on both sides of the ball and watching what each team was doing to each other. Um, but uh, Rams come out victorious, um, but a really, really great game. How are we feeling about this week? Well, I don't want to rub it too much further into Sully's face just to avoid uh, getting to another altercation here on the podcast. But it was a nice win. It's what I expected. It, it was my lock. And uh, it was a fun game, though, you know, high scoring. Uh, Jerry Goff looked great. Uh, I just think that's what the Rams are. They're a high-powered, high-octane offense, good defense. It's a good combination, and I expect it to continue for a very long time this season. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it, I only wasn't even really mad about the loss, honestly. I thought the Vikings played pretty well. Um, the Rams do such a good job of switching up their schemes to get their wide receivers into positions that allow Goff to be successful. And he capitalizes on every throw. You know, you saw Anthony Barr get burned for three touchdowns in that game. Um, and it's not because the Vikings are just putting him on Connor Cup or lining up against whoever's in the slot for the Rams. They move and, and shape their offense according to the defense. Part of that is obviously McVay being, a, you know, the, the boy wonder as far as that goes. But also, all the has got to go to Jared Goff playing, I think, by the numbers, basically a perfect game, a quarterback rating. Um, it, it was pretty wild to watch that offense and, to lose by a touchdown at home uh, or on the road for the Vikings is is not bad, especially in an environment like that, especially against maybe one of the hottest teams. They're probably the hottest team besides the Chiefs in the league. Um, so it was it was fun to watch. You know, the Bills' loss to the Vikings was way, way worse. And the trouble with that is that now they you know are in this tough stretch where they play the Rams on the road, and now they're going to Philadelphia next week on the road. So they really should have picked up that win um, because it's going to be hard for them to climb back in a division like that. But I think they will, and I think they figured out a lot about themselves during that game. Cousins played great. Uh, Thielen and Diggs continuing to show why. They may be the best one-two in the NFL. Um, and, and beyond that, I just think uh, it, it was nothing to be upset about for, for the Vikings. And both teams were missing big parts of their defense, too. Obviously, Rams losing to lead, and I think they lost another defensive lineman after that game as well now who's going to be on the IR. And then the Vikings not having Everson Griffin, who's really been the driving force on that defensive line. He's 
uh, has a, not only an injury, but is also going through some personal problems off the field. So uh, it's the next time they meet both teams, I think will be even better. Obviously, the Vikings having a new quarterback, it, it's hard to get adjusted. You're only four games in, but I think they've done a good job so far. So there are definitely positives for both teams. Rams obviously winning and the Vikings learning a little bit about themselves on the road in a tough environment like that. Yeah, I will give the Vikings credit on the short week. They did play pretty well against the Rams and in a tough place to play as well. However, just because he scored you know, a few touchdowns, over 30 fantasy points in any format you want to look at it, you got to get Cooper Cup's name right there, Sully, not Connor Cup. Just want to throw that out there. I apologize to him, not to you. Sure. <laughs> it was a fun. It was a really fun game to watch. That was good. I accept that on behalf of him. I didn't, I didn't apologize to you. I apologize to him. <laughs> well, I'm accepting on on his behalf since he couldn't be here today. Yeah, it usually shows up, right? Yeah. It's going to be interesting, though, you talk about the division with the Vikings, too, is that, um, I mean, I think that the, the Bears are playing really, really well in that defense. It's it's kind of weird to think about that. I mean, yeah, not to say they dug themselves and hold that loss in the bill, to the Bills, like you said, is is a big one, and it's a it's one that they might really, really, they are going to really, really wish they had down the road. Um, but it, it seems like the Bears look like a playoff team with that defense so far, and I know that Trubisky's not the greatest, but he had a great game on Sunday as well, so... Um, you know, it, it's interesting to see the Bears' resurgence this year and how that's going to um, affect the Vikings going forward, too. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I thought about that. Obviously, they had I had the upset pick for against them last week, and Trubisky had six touchdowns in that game. So that wasn't good, especially because I had him on the bench for one of my fantasy teams. But what are you going to do? I don't think anyone had him really starting this week unless you didn't have any other quarterback option. Um, I think that the Packers – are so up and down this year the Vikings will be able to catch them. But maybe it is them and the Bears in the end, and I think it's going to be tough either way, especially having three tough teams in the division. They all are going to have to play each other. The Vikings and Bears haven't played yet. They haven't played the Lions yet who are capable of some kind of upset win as we saw that against the Patriots. But it'll be fun. Um, Swan, what did you think of the Redskins' performance this past week? Uh, it was good. They didn't play. So, you know, we, we're okay. We In not playing, we watched everyone lose, and we took number one in the NFC East. So uh, I'm really happy with our performance. And, you know, we get to go Monday night, play the Saints this week. So that's going to be a, a nice, fun game. I think that uh, that Saints D is very suspect, obviously, um, as they've shown throughout this season so far. And it's something that uh, the, the Skins need to be able to take advantage of. Do you think there's any chance that they can stop Kamara, who seems to be putting up ridiculous numbers and as we Jesse in our fantasy league have had a highly discussed week he was traded in our league and now there are people upset because it's created a team that's a little better but I don't think it's the best team in the league I don't think it's the best team in the league either I think the thing with Kamara is that I think his numbers are going to go down because Ingram's coming back this week so um, I know Kamara is good and I know he's still going to put up numbers but his numbers are not going to be as astronomical as they have been I mean he's had the the best running back fantasy start in the history of fantasy football um i think exactly. it went back to 1950 and it's like there wasn't fantasy football in 1950 but the numbers are there if it was there in 1950 and so he has had that incredible start but with ingram coming back i think Kamara is even going to be happy because he doesn't have to do everything for this team anymore so it's going to be an interesting one-two punch but the skins are the best team in the NFL against first down rushes. Um, they have a pretty good front seven. It's an underrated front seven, but it's pretty good. So uh, I'm excited to see this matchup because I think it's going to be uh, a real, our first real good test uh, for our defense. And I quickly want to yeah. – oh, sorry, go ahead, Sully. Oh, I was just going to ask your opinion. I want to know what you think about this trade, Nick. Maybe we may even have to take this to Twitter. I think that would be fun at this point. 
in our league, we had um, it was Alvin Kamara and Ryan Tannehill for Drew Brees and David Johnson. And a lot of people are upset about that because they thought Kamara was so good, it wasn't a fair trade. Essentially, it's just really Drew Brees and David Johnson for Alvin Kamara because Tannehill is a backup at this point. You think that's a fair trade? Well, before I answer that, what I was actually going to say was about fantasy football and fantasy sports in general. You said there's an unfair trade in the league, and I got a little PTSD because I'm the commissioner of the upcoming fantasy basketball league that I'm in for like 10 years running, and um, it's been very difficult to organize the draft and everything, and it's given me a lot of stress, and I basically just handed off the reins to somebody else. And I want to know, in your league that you're talking about with this trade that got passed, how do you feel about the commissioner, and is this a commissioner issue or an owner issue, or how did this get through, and what's the process? Well, I'm going to hop yeah, in here. I'm going to hop in here first because because Silly is the commissioner um, of this of this league, so uh, I think he feels pretty happy with his commissioner. And I'm uh, I have been on the side of uh, and I've been uh, outspoken about this. I don't mind the trade because of what I said about Kamara, and I think with Josh Rosen becoming the starter in Arizona, I think David Johnson's numbers go up as well. Um, so I think that running back exchange becomes a little more fair uh, than I think a lot of people are thinking about. Yeah, and as you said, just I am very, very pleased with the commissioner's job so far. <laughs> We're close to maybe a decade of this league running, um, and it's been probably a top five commissioner in the world in the history of all of sports in my mind. And then as far as the trades go, uh, early in the league we did have some collusion with the friend of the pod, Jonah, and – uh, Zeb Sanderson, for those of you who know, for those of you who don't, um, you know, Zeb gave up basically and gave Jonas some players, and that's put a stain over Jonah's name from the beginning of the league all the way up to here. Um, but this trade, as you said, just I think it's fair in that sense because Ingram's coming back. David Johnson, you saw last week, had his best game of the year. So things I think will sort of even out in that sense. Kamara is obviously a special talent. No one's going to deny that. How involved he is in the passing game makes him a fantasy threat every single week, despite how good of running he is. Um, but I think it has been fair. And also, side note, Nick, if you guys need an extra player in your basketball league, I'm trying to get in a fantasy league this year, so let me know. I actually – oh, I'm going to look in my league. I have one that I'm drafting tonight, um, and this has nothing to do with the podcast, but I have one drafting tonight. I'll see if there's an extra spot. I've been told I can invite someone, so – if you got a spot, I'm ready to draft tonight. I got nothing well, to do. Well, that sounds good. Yeah, I, it sounds like uh, you just gave a very unbiased answer about the commissioner question there, Sully. And well, he's I, a fantastic commissioner. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, yeah, my, my whole thing with that is the commissioner reflects everything that happens in the league. Everything that happened in the league reflects back to the commissioner. So if there are, is there is collusion, I don't want you to say, I don't want to hear that Trump voice say, no collusion. There is collusion, and it's the commissioner's fault. So, Sully, I think this is an issue with how you're handling the league, and I think you need to re, re, uh, review how uh, trades are handled. So I got you here. Don't worry. Um, the reaction from that collusion, I think this was either the first or the second year of the league uh, it was the general. first year of the league. Um, and that was Zeev's only year in the league. So when, when he decided he was going to do that uh, and and – throw his team, throw his season uh, to help someone else um, who didn't even win the championship that year, which adds some <laughs> extra fun, um, that he, he was sent out. He was cast off, and I think that was the right decision by our commission. Yes, he, we had someone banned from the league. Jonah was put on a penalty. I think he had to do something the next year. Um, and on top of that, he never, ever lives it down. Uh, it was handled properly. Uh, take notes for your commissioning in the future, unless you're just going to continue to give up like you just did. <laughs> well, I appreciate that answer. Um, 
And speaking of giving up, it's, it looks like Earl Thomas has really just given up on the Seahawks after this latest injury to him. You know, he wanted a contract extension, didn't get it, breaks his leg, flips off the sideline as he's carted off. Um, a situation that probably also relates to Le'Veon Bell, who is coming back, he says, in Week 7 during the bye. But I think the Earl Thomas injury provides a perfect example of why Le'Veon Bell is doing this holdout. And it was very interesting to see how the whole conflict was illustrated with the middle finger. I, I just think it was like a perfect, you know, perfect conclusion to that. As much as I hate to see Earl Thomas get hurt on a play that was really weird. You know, normally when you fracture your leg, you can kind of see it on the field. You're like, oh, wow, he messed it up. Just looks like he kind of stumbled over a defender and fell maybe a little awkwardly. But it's exactly why I held out. Uh, Le'Veon Bell even commented on Instagram, said like, you know, I got you, bro. I'll be the bad guy for all of us. And this is what it is in the NFL. When you're a star and then your team won't pay you, it's just an unfair system because of how violent the game is, how uh, susceptible everyone is to an injury. Um, and it's unfortunate, but the middle finger was hilarious. And it was, I don't think we will ever see, well, maybe I don't think I've seen it before, but a player flip off his own team. And never know exactly why, you know. And I do think that the fact that I think it was like more of a gesture. Not I think everything was also known that he wasn't flipping off his teammates. I think he was flipping off the the, the sideline as a gesture to say like to the front office, like this is ridiculous, you know. Um, and you even had some Seahawks come out and say like we appreciate him doing that almost um, in in other words. Um, so, but yeah, this it, it's crazy that if, of course it's going to happen to the exact person that has been talking about it outwardly. Um, but uh, I'm actually surprised in the Le'Veon uh, reasoning of it that he's going to come back before week 10 because he can wait till 10 and then still be a free agent after this year. So uh, the fact that he's saying he's going to come back in week 7 is kind of weird. Um, I would have expected, especially after this Earl Thomas thing, I would have expected him to be like, no, nah, I'm going to wait till 10, and then who yeah, knows right. what happens. But um, if he wants to come back earlier, that's fine. The Steelers are struggling. I don't think it's necessarily because he's not there. Um, I think Connor's done a good job stepping up. Obviously, he's not as good as Le'Veon Bell is, um, but uh, I think this the Steelers team has gone through a lot more than just Le'Veon. Um, but yeah, I, I might even be too late to save the Steelers season, honestly. Especially if he's coming back in week seven. There's three more weeks that could be three more losses. Who knows? Um, and then at that point, it's for sure too late. And then he's not going to risk going into games and getting hurt and messing up his money like we've seen so far this year. And just some quick notes on quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, sadly, very unfortunately, uh, it appears Fitzmagic has been extinguished. Uh, Jameis is back and is confirmed to be starting next game. He replaced Ryan Fitzpatrick at halftime of their blowout loss to the Bears. So moment of silence there for Fitzmagic. It was fun while it lasted. We will always have that press conference outfit um, ingrained in our memories. And then Baker on the other side of the country couldn't quite get it done uh, for the Browns, who allowed the Raiders to pick up their first win. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts about those two situations. The the Browns-Raiders game was interesting because I'm fully aboard the Browns bandwagon, as I have said, but the Raiders are my second favorite team. Uh, obviously, there's a big drop-off between uh, first and second, but um, that game was really interesting because obviously there's a controversy with the spot in, uh, the, in the fourth quarter. Um, but yeah, I think that what Baker's doing is not... I mean, he put up 42 points in a game. I don't care what defense it is. If you're going to put up 42 points in your second, in your first start, second game ever, um, that's impressive. I think Baker is here to stay. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, I think Mayfield showed he probably, unless something really drastic happens, the offense was an issue in that game. 
And on top of that, you had that terrible non-fumble call that really yeah. kind of cost their defense and maybe turned the whole game around. Although the Browns probably win that game. The Raiders really needed that win. I mean, kind of saved Gruden right now. Obviously, they're not going to fire him after the contract they just gave him. But to start 0-4 when you have maybe the best team in the AFC in your division really hurts your playoff chances, and you haven't even played them once yet. So that's another two L's you're going to take. So to be at six losses off the bat, they'd have to basically go, you know, nine and one the rest of the year to even try and make the playoffs. Um, it, it was a while. And I, I think back to the Fitzmagic part, sucks to see Jameis go. He's one of the players that I didn't initially very much like in their career. And now I just think he's kind of a crappy person and I'd rather not see him play again. But obviously, you know, it's the NFL. And they could care less about that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting. You know, they have a bye week this week, so he can kind of get adjusted to get back on the offense. And as you said, we'll always have the press conference. That was magic. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Fitzpatrick in again at some point because the the Buccaneers aren't exactly the best team in the league. And Jameis is is known to have some games where he just kind of goes off kilter and he'll throw like four interceptions or stuff like that, just as much as he does kind of sling it and have great games. So and that that's what's interesting about the the changes. We saw how well we saw the 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 height of what Fitzpatrick was doing. We saw how well he played. Um, and then I think most people will still say Jameis Winston is a better quarterback like overall than Ryan Fitzpatrick. We've seen Fitzpatrick have his terrible, terrible games and even seasons. Um, so to see what he was able to do in those three games uh, in the beginning of the year, what can Jameis do? Can Jameis be better? Uh, I don't think so. Um, but, you know, obviously he's, it's only been done once in the history of the NFL to have three straight 400-yard games or whatever, 400-yard, three touchdown, whatever the stat was. But um, if it's only been done once and it was Fitzpatrick, you don't assume that Jameis is going to be able to do it as well. Um, but you, you saw how good they can be. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Jameis handles uh, being the starter and, and what kind of numbers and what kind of games he can produce. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, so going to Locks. Upsets, Nick. You want to start it off? Uh, you jumped the trigger a little early last week, putting out the results, and you know, obviously, we had to talk about that and bring you back down to earth and realize that you're not a top dog. Salt Daddy is still a top dog. Well, what do you got for us this week? <laughs> yeah, so you know, I have been responsible for putting the results and stuff on Twitter of our locks and upsets. I do apologize publicly to everyone listening uh, for you, Sully, that I. Mis- miscalculated uh, as we've been talking about earlier on the podcast I'm not very good at math and that has shown up here again so you are still winning and um, I do apologize but for my locks and upsets uh, I'm going to go with a team that I kind of crapped on at the beginning of the season um, but I think they're going to get it done this week and that's the Patriots well I don't think they're going to make it back to the Super Bowl um, they did get a big win over the Dolphins, who probably weren't as good as their record suggested, but uh, either way, they looked good in that game and beat Miami, and I think they're going to do that again here against the Colts, another team that I don't think can live up to what needs to be done to beat the Patriots in Foxborough. So I'm going to go with the Patriots as my lock pick here. Hoping to go back-to-back locks with that Rams pick I made well, last week. Um, upset is a very low-risk upset, and it's in the worst game of the week, and that's the Cardinals over the 49ers. The Cardinals are underdogs going into Santa Clara, and I think the Cardinals will get the job done in a very low-stakes game, but an upset's an upset, and I want to overtake you at the top spot there, Sully, so that's my upset pick. All right, Jesse, you want to go or you want me to go? Uh, I can go here if you want. Uh, so I actually also have the card, not as my upset, my sp- 
specific upset uh, of the week, but I do have them winning as well. Um, I think that Josh Rosen, while the numbers won't back it uh, necessarily, he had an incredible debut. I thought he was really, really good. Um, And I think he's just going to continue to build on that. Um, But uh, going on, I think my lock is going to be the Panthers uh, coming off of a bye week and facing a a pretty bad Giants team um, that don't really have anything going for them. Uh, I know they have Odell, but I think I've picked a lock against the Giants. I think this is my third time this year, and I think I've been right every time. And as we've talked about before, I have still yet to go 0 for 2 on my locks and upsets, the only one on the podcast uh, to accomplish that feat. Um, So um, let's go ahead and lock in the Panthers in my upset. Uh, So you're going to be happy with this because I was very surprised to see the Vikings were actually dogs going into uh, Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is not very good. I think they have their their pieces here and there, but they don't have Alshon. Carson Wentz hasn't been great this year. Nick is filming me right now. Um, and at the end of the day, I think the Vikings defense takes care of business in Philly uh, where they just lost the Titans last week. Um, so I don't really have much belief in Philadelphia. Vegas never gets it wrong, but they might have got it wrong here. Uh, I like that. <laughs> That's good to hear. I really appreciate that, the uh, vote of confidence there. I actually have the same lock as you, Jesse. I think the Panthers are just going to handle business against the Giants at home. Coming off a bye week, fully rested. Cam's been having a year so far, so that should be uh, a pretty easy win for them in my mind. And I'm going to have the same upset as you, man. I can't go against my Vikings, and, and since it is an upset pick, it's an easy pick for me. Uh, Vikings over Eagles, I think many of the points you just said are the same ones. Um, I, I almost took yours, Nick, with the Cardinals over the Niners because I think that's another game where I think the Cardinals will go on the road and win. But the Vikings showed me a lot last week on the road. Eagles are struggling, and I think this could be a turning point for the Vikings season. They can get this win. In my mind, you know, when I was doing the schedule before the year, it kind of cancels out that Bills game, which I thought would be a win. I had this marked down as a loss for the Vikings initially, although I never would have predicted that. And when I tuned it more to a realistic tone, I was like, well, they may lose that game. But I think they have a lot better shot this week. They obviously got to squash the demons from that beating they took last year in Philadelphia. But uh, different quarterback, different mindset. Uh, and that offense is nice, and the Eagles' defense just isn't the same. And like you said, they aren't moving the ball like they were last year. And I don't think we're going to see Foles in that game. And right now, they might even need that because Wentz has not been that same guy coming off that injury. And let it be known, you'll probably see this on Twitter, but let it be known here on the podcast that I did pick the Vikings in this game slowly, as you noticed, so I hope you can appreciate that. I hope you can officially bury the hatchet now. I am picking your Vikings to pick up a road win there. I do. I appreciate it. I appreciate you and Connor Cut. Thank you. <laughs> and just want to quick, as we finish up, congratulations to Sully uh, for going 2-0 and in his locks and upsets this week as he's picked the same ones as I have. So assuming that is going to go out and that's going to be a 2-0 and there. Congrats, bud. Yeah, we'll pop champagne, you know? <laughs> and with all of those football games on the docket for Sunday, Thursday, and Monday, there will be plenty of time to sit behind the TV look at the screen, watch the games, and probably eat some food. And where would you want to go? Well, the place to go, or even get the food catered to, is Lucky Boy. They can bring it right to you, right to your watch party, or you can go over to Lucky Boy in Pasadena and sit down on the fabled patio. It's a wonderful place and our favorite sponsor here at Cautiously Optimistic. Yeah, on Sundays, I do two things. I watch football and I eat Lucky Boy. 
Um, and what better way to do that is than inviting over all your friends and getting Lucky Boy to cater to you. You can do it Sunday starting at 6.30 a.m. as if there may be a game in London. You can just get up and get hyped to do it. And it goes all the way to 7 p.m. So get off your butt. No, you know what, never mind. Stay on your butt. Call Lucky Boy, have them come to you and your friends, cater to you. Yeah, and if you don't follow any of the Lucky Boy social media pages, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, give them a look because they're out there supporting the Dodgers right now. They're supporting every LA team. There's no better time to hop aboard the Lucky Boy train, do a delicious burrito, a burger, a gyro, some fries, some money rings, fried zucchini, whatever floats your boat. And if you want to learn more, you can always check out episode 62 with the lucky girl, Christina Caragias, and find out all the facts of your favorite restaurant in Pasadena. And we are one week closer to the NBA season officially kicking off. The preseason has, and LeBron has suited up inside Staples Center down in San Diego, giving the fans down there a little treat. Must have been nice for them to go see LeBron there. I know those tickets sold out pretty fast. The Lakers, you know, they're 0-2 in the preseason, but who really cares? LeBron is only playing about 15 minutes a game, and he's looking pretty good. Alonzo's not even playing, but he's following Kobe's footsteps, guys. On episode 81, LeBron is also flying helicopters. Yeah, I liked the helicopter uh, going to the game and coming back. I think that was very, like you said, very Kobe of him, but, I mean, he's looked good, as Kobe did in the purple and gold. Um, I, I like what he's doing. He... Someone, I don't know who said it. Someone said, oh, I just saw it like on a random tweet. It's like my first ever Laker game. Um, and then he was like, I just noticed that LeBron just looks like a video game character out there. Like it's insane how much bigger, stronger he is than everyone. Um, and it's just so cool. He's got, got the short shorts. Uh, it just looks right. It looks, it looks weird, but it looks right. It feels at home. Yeah, it's it's been nice. The helicopter is obviously a... Uh, it's a superstar flex in the NBA when you can helicopter from place to place, especially L.A. to San Diego, that commute. No one likes making that. There's a bunch of rush hour traffic. It's always better to fly right on over that. So that's a solid move. Um, it, it's been great. You know, obviously the Lakers are 0-2, which doesn't really matter in the post or in the uh, preseason. Um, but LeBron has looked good every time. I think the ball movement has been impressive, even with Alonzo not even out there yet. Uh, Rondo's look good. Obviously, Lance Stevenson is up to his old antics with that follow-through pass, which was just phenomenal. I loved it. Um, it, it. It looks all good so far. You know, it's up to plan. I think Luke Walton has the right mindset. They asked him yesterday about the postseason, and he was like, postseason? Are you kidding me? We're so far from that. We're still trying to learn from each other. So I think that's the right way to approach this. Build it from the base up, because if you just uh, really rely on LeBron to do everything, that's what they had in Cleveland, and obviously it does work to a certain degree in the East or in the Eastern Conference. It's not going to work in the West, so they need to have a full team effort, a full team plan, and they need to approach it as such. And you brought up the antics as well. Uh, one thing, it's it is very weird to see uh, Rondo in a, a Laker uniform, but I'm loving his antics in the preseason. I don't know if he's going to do it all the way through the, the regular season as well at free throws. He's boxing people out so that they can't high five the free throw taker. So um, good, and so it's, good. It's, yeah, it's, it's like incredible to really watch. Of free throw trolls. Yeah, I, that's I, that's even been better to me than that follow through pass that Lance did. But I loved that as well. Uh, so I'm excited to see 
you know, the camaraderie throughout antics as we get through these this season. Yeah, and you mentioned it, Jesse, with the jersey. It definitely looks weird, but it, it almost looks as if it's like 10 years ago and we're playing 2K, creating fake teams and putting LeBron on the Lakers, and now it's sitting there in reality. It still feels weird. It still feels not real, um, but it, it's here and it's about to happen. Uh, LeBron is on the Lakers, and... Apparently, some of these burglars that have been targeting uh, Yasiel Puig multiple of times, uh, Robert Woods on the Rams, they got him. They're also targeted uh, LeBron because they know he's here. They know he's in L.A. I think LeBron actually has two houses next door to each other. And um, the police actually made some arrests, and it appears to be the same group of guys. And I think there's a woman involved, too, who has um, victimized Puig, I think, now four times. Robert Woods just last week, and then unsuccessfully tried to get LeBron so it's an interesting LA sports story there where all these uh, athletes in three different sports are getting hit by the same group of burglars but um, it is what it is and I'm glad they made those arrests Um, around the league quickly uh, before the season started there has been a story that came out about NBA's social media addiction how players are always glued to their phones on the road at dinners and everything like that I didn't read the whole story but uh, I do know that the 76ers have instituted a phone bucket where the players are required to toss their cell phones into it at team dinners so they can actually get to know one another, look each other in the eye instead of going on Instagram and whatnot. Um, it's interesting to hear why, how they're instituting that. What do you guys think? I think it's dumb. I mean, sure, I get the reasoning behind it, but it's like the whole, oh, so they can get to know each other. What are, they spend three hours together in practice every day or whatever it may be. You know, they have a whole preseason training camp. They do all this stuff with each other. They know each other well enough. Um, I don't think you need... And, like, it, look, if it's to the point where every single player is only looking at their phone, I don't think that's an issue necessarily that can be fixed with a phone bucket. I think we got to do a little more research into what's really wrong. Um, I'm sure it's not necessarily an addiction. You know, it's like, look, they, they can handle it. Uh, you don't need to monitor. This feels like it's sixth grade when everyone first got their phones and you know they're flip phones and they couldn't figure out what to do because they're just on it all the time this isn't that they know how to handle themselves they're adults you can't uh, look over them like they're 12 yeah i'm actually on the opposite end of you jesse i think this is you know being on someone who's been around you know i think college athletics mirrors probably likes a little bit more you spend so much with your time with each other sure but, like, being on the field with each other, uh, especially in basketball when it's so fast-paced, so, you know, you, you don't really have a lot of downtime during practice, I think it, it helps to kind of know each other off the court. And so many times a day you kind of meet people that are, like, a presence on social media but they don't have that same energy in, in real life. And it's a really weird thing. And then not to say that any of those have them, but you got to be able to kind of, like, know each other, trust each other. And a lot of that comes from – just learning about each other. So I agree with you, though. It is a little challenge to have like a phone bucket at dinner. You know, it's like having your mom tell you to not text at dinner, whatever you want to call it. But I do think it's a good thing and a good move for any NBA team who wants to do that. They just have maybe some time for the players to interact, get to know each other. I mean, J.J. Redick, the layup god, a trusted source, another podcaster, even said that there were times last season in teams he's been on where you'd be at dinner sitting with six other guys and people just all would just be looking at their phone, not talking to each other. It seems weird to me. Um, and, and it's a good way, you know, if you have beef on a court, the best way to kind of squash that and learn more about each other is talking off of it. When it's not as high of an adrenaline, high intensity, high testosterone type of environment, you're all just kind of chilling. Um, obviously, when you're on those flights and everything, you're going to have some time to spend with each other as well. But 
I think ever, like all of us, the last time I took flights, I just was on my phone the entire time watching Netflix, doing something like that. So dinner may be a good time. You know, it's just a quick 20 minutes where you guys can just all sit and chat. You don't necessarily need to be on your phone. Maybe this is a bit of a grandpa. Maybe this feels like a Nick type statement, but I think it's good for them and for any young guy like that, you know? Well, I will make my official statement now, Sully. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in between both of you guys on this. Uh, I think the, awesome. yeah, I share, <laughs> I share similar opinions to both of you guys one on this. <laughs> yeah, one episode, I guess. Um, so I hear you, Sully. I do agree that there should be something to be said for you know face-to-face interaction on a, in a team environment. Um, I think the social media addiction goes beyond the NBA. I think it's like an actual you know, issue that's plaguing society in general right now. But on the other on the other hand, anything that they do to kind of curb or limit, you know, Joel Embiid's Twitter personality or NBA Twitter in general, um, I'm not in favor of. So, as long as they let Joel Embiid still be Joel Embiid on Twitter and some of those other guys who have made NBA Twitter what it is, um, as long as that stays, I'm happy. But I think you can pick and choose both sides from this argument, and that's kind of where I lie on this. And I think I think my real quick, I think my issue isn't necessarily with the fact that the Sixers are doing it. I don't think they should have to. And if it is to the point where, like, JJ is saying, I'm at a dinner with six other dudes and they're all just on their phones, that's, like, what I was kind of saying is it's, it, there's an issue there. But it's something that you you have to figure out. You're an adult. Like, you spend some time off your phone. That's a decision. That's a thought that you have to have yourself to be like, hey, I shouldn't be refreshing Twitter when I just refreshed it 30 seconds ago because this person may have tweeted and I want to see what this tweet is. That's My issue is more with the player if that's what it's come to and that's how addicted you are to your phone. Like, that's the issue. And I guess if that's what it's going to take is having a phone bucket, sure. I just don't think it should be necessary. And I do understand where some of these players are coming from. You know, we here at Cautiously Pod are dropping like excellent content on our Twitter account every day by the minute, by the hour. So, you know, people want to see what we're putting out and we're, you know, for everybody who's listening, that's Cautiously Pod on Twitter, Cautiously Pod on Instagram. So I understand it's very tempting. We do come with the correct content, come with the hot content. So just acknowledge that. But this will lead us nicely into a, seg- a segment that we haven't had in a while, and that is What the Puck? What the Puck? What the Puck? Similarly in the NHL, we have um, technology addiction and a game that we've talked about before on this podcast. And Terrible that, game, sorry, that, I just said that. That is Fortnite. Jesse does not like Fortnite, and neither do, the Can- neither do the Canucks, apparently. Yeah, well, shout out to the Canucks because they banned Fortnite. So the Canucks now, my second favorite hockey team, Uh, Because of this, obviously, I'm a Caps guy, seasonal Caps guy, admittedly. But, you know, shout out to the Caps, the uh, Stanley Cup champion, Washington Capitals, that is. But the Canucks just became my second favorite hockey team because they've banned a terrible game in Fortnite. Man, you know, Jesse, you couldn't be more wrong on this one. I think it's so much fun. And it kind of goes back to the phone point. That's why we all tied it together. These are young kids. Let them have their fun. Obviously, you're just saying that these are adults, Jesse, but, like, if you're, I mean, you think back to the time when you were 20, 21 years old, you know, I can barely make breakfast for myself and still be on time for work at at this point, and that that was five years ago. So it's like, I think they do need to take some restrictions, but Fortnite's not the way to go. It's a generational thing. It's uh, one of the most fun games out there right now, Uh, and, and you're just wrong about this, and I think the Canucks were wrong to do it. And, Nick, do you have the exact limitations of the ban? Is it, like, you're not allowed to do it? in the locker room or what's the deal if, I will say if it's just a locker if they were playing in a locker room that's a whole other issue that I, I would have an issue with just in general um, I think Fortnite <laughs> my, my biggest problem with Fortnite is that 
it is very addictive and people play it way too much and it took my friends away from me. So that was my thing. And you know, Hey, if I can't see my friends, then I hate the game, you know? And that's what it was. All, before my, friends, all my friends are dead. Facts. Yeah, the only thing here I'm reading is it's banned on road trips, and I don't know what the limitations are exactly. I don't know if they're going to be like going down the hotel room and knocking on everybody's doors to make sure Fortnite's being played because that would be outrageous. But I guess it's just kind of the similar thing with NBA. They're just trying to limit the uh, gaming and you know looking at your screen sort of uh, culture that's kind of permeating society. So um, it's good, and then. Here, uh, Jesse. It's not good. No, it's not good. It's great. You're right. It's not good. It's great. <laughs> no. I mean, it's just like in the NBA, players bring you know their consoles on the road and they play in the hotel rooms. So I can understand that part of it, but like, so what? If they want to just hang out and play, what's the issue with that? You know, I, I have no issue. They get their workouts in. They get their practice in. That's all that matters. Yeah, Fortnite is trash. There's a classic uh, clip on backstage Dodgers. I don't. I don't really watch that show, but I saw a clip on Twitter or something where Matt Kemp with was going over uh, to Cody Bellinger's room to ask if he wanted to go out when they were in New York, and Cody declined because he was playing Fortnite. Terrible. <laughs> See? Good guy. Good dude. And you guys are all worried about, especially in MLB, any sport, about people just being old men and complaining all the time, and now you're going to complain about people playing video games. So think about that for a second. But, Jesse, uh, you're defending uh, champion Caps are going to be without one of their dudes for about 20 games. Tell us about that. Yeah, Tom Wilson, you know, he's our goon. You know, he's the dude that's going to enforce... Uh, any issues and you know hey sometimes you just have to be that enforcer and yeah he threw a little check to a head and he's going to be out for 20 games but hey it's a long hockey season uh, I'm not too worried the uh, defending Stanley Cup champion I'm going to say that again the Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals yes my team the Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals will be without Tom Wilson but they're going to be okay uh, Ovi and the squad will lead them back to the promised land okay can I ask you guys, because your hockey is, how many, uh, do you guys know how many games they play in the season? I believe it's 82. Eight, around 82. I, know, I don't know if it's 82 exactly. They <laughs> play the same amount-ish as the NBA. Yeah, they do play 82. It's the same and, exact and amount. I've, so it's and, a fourth of the year. That's kind of a big deal, but I get what you're saying. And very, very uh, smart of you, Sully. Now that you're a big hockey guy covering uh, countless hockey events and stories in Kansas, I like how you're testing our knowledge to make sure we're on our toes here on the podcast. I, I don't want to be talking to non-hockey guys. Obviously, I'm a big NAHL guy with the uh, Topeka Pilots out here covering them. Uh, you can go look at my story about their goalie, Emil Branso. And the NAHL is an interesting thing because I think I was explaining to these guys last time the league where you can play in for three years and then you re- still retain your NCAA eligibility. So you can be like a 21-year-old freshman at a D1 school. But uh, I- I'm a hockey guy through and through. I made it a point to try and uh, get more into the pro leagues. I'm more of a college guy at this point. But uh, I-, I recently got the ESPN Plus uh, membership. It's only wow. five bucks. And not only does it allow me to watch games on my phone that are going on for college football, things like that, but I think pretty much every hockey game is on there. So definitely going to be watching and, and uh, figuring out the sport to an even deeper degree. Wow, just upgrades all around. Sully with a check mark and ESPN with a plus. Look at you go. Uh, the NHL is coming up, and so we will have plenty of more of these segments. But for now, this has been What the Puck. What the Puck. What the Puck. And now, it's time for the fast food flavor. Fast food flavor. Fast food flavor. Swine, what's on the menu this week? Well, look at your calendar. It's October 4th. What does that mean? National Taco Day. And you know that's a big day 
in the fast food community. Um, so I'm here to let you guys know three spaces that you need to go to today. Because what else are you gonna eat today but tacos? So breakfast, lunch, dinner, lunch, middle lunch, dinner, lunch, first dinner, second dinner. I don't care how you space it out. Three spots you gotta go to. Start at Del Taco. The shredded uh, tacos are back. Buy one, get one free. Tacos, shredded tacos that is at Del Taco. Then go head over to, of course, the classic Taco Bell, one of my favorite spots. They're giving away taco gift sets. That's four tacos for $5. You're gonna get your classic, then you're gonna get a nacho cheese Doritos Locos, a cool ranch Doritos Locos, and a fiery Doritos Locos taco. All of those for five bucks. Then go over head, up, over head over to a spot that we don't talk about as much, El Pollo Loco. You get a free chicken taco El Carbone with any purchase of a drink or a meal or whatever you want. Uh, I believe for Del Taco and El Pollo Loco, you gotta find a coupon form, but they can't be that hard to find. I'm sure they're gonna be spreading them out everywhere over social media tomorrow, so just check in on everybody's social media uh, and go get yourself some tacos because there's gonna be deals available everywhere. That's a, that's a solid list there, Just I'm gonna, I got a couple spots for you too. Obviously, we, this is the fast food flavor, but tacos in Los Angeles, you gotta at least get some real tacos in there. Maybe two free meals, mix in some other ones. Uh, you got a variety of things you can go to. Tacos Mexico, one of our favorite spots, Jesse. Yes. Uh, they'll have 60, it may even be a 69 cent taco tomorrow, which is pretty nice. Very nice, uh, nice. That's what they do every Tuesday and Thursday. Maybe it's like 75 cents. Um, you know, there's a variety of places in Los Angeles. Go check that out. Uh, I miss those tacos so much. Those are all great deals to know about, though, especially when you're balling on a budget. Um, and I also recently have been making myself breakfast tacos a lot. So mm. I think that's something, uh, don't be afraid to mix that in. You can really have it for all three meals. Although I'm never against just having tacos, traditional tacos at any time either. Yeah, I could taco about tacos all day long. Oh, God. Uh, but but also, uh, I'll say for breakfast tacos, just to stop Nick from that, uh, Thank tacos you. via Corona in Atwater, fantastic breakfast tacos. You can go check that out. We are actually uh, recording this episode in the new uh, Culver City studio, and Jesse, just less than two miles away, there is a place called Tito's Tacos. I don't, don't know if you've ever been there, but uh, I would suggest at least trying it. I've only been there once. I need to go again to develop a full opinion about it. Um, it's over here in Culver City if you are going that way after the podcast. But otherwise, we appreciate that list um, and those suggestions very much. Of course, it is a momentous day for the fast food flavor, and we want, want nobody more to tell us about this than, of course, the drive through guru, uh, Swine, Jesse, thank you very much. Always here for you, boys. And that has been the fast food flavor. The fast food flavor. Fast food flavor. It's that unfortunate time of the show because we're gonna leave you soon, but at the same time, it's that fortunate time of the show because we have some super hot, interesting takes and some shout outs for you. Um, so, Nick, go ahead and start us off. What do you got for us? I got a few different things here. Um, my take is a double take because it's, I have a take that is I feel good about something and a take that I feel bad about something. And they're both related to the sports world here. Um, news that has been circulating the past few weeks. Number one, it has just come out today that the Cubs have suspended Addison Russell 40 games for his uh, domestic dispute. And I don't think that's enough. I think uh, he should get at least 100 or more, uh, similar to what Ozuna got, because the allegations made there are pretty bad, and I don't think 
Um, it's right. I also don't think it's right for the MLB to wait until the season ends to suspend him. He should have been. Uh, this should have counted and then continued going into next year. And then, um, so I don't think that's a very good thing. But I do applaud the Panthers for signing Eric Reed, uh, somebody who's been outspoken about social injustice. So it's good to see somebody get a job. Uh, it's good news for Colin Kaepernick if he wants to still play football. But I'm happy to see that an NFL team and owner is taking a chance signing a guy who deserves to be playing football because he can actually help them, um, similar to how Colin Kaepernick can help teams since there are so many bad quarterbacks out there. So that's a good step in the right direction. Um, so I, I appreciate that, but I don't appreciate how the MLB handled that Addison Russell, nor how they handled last year around this time the Yuli Gurriel situation. And then, yeah, Nick, you're spot on. I just want to comment on that real quick. He should be suspended the entire year next year, and it should be a lifetime ban after that. You get popped for steroids, you get 80 games off top, and you can do that to someone else, uh, especially someone when you're a professional athlete to a woman who is not, that is just despicable. So 40 games is not even close to enough. Yeah. Agreed with both of you there. And then a quick note on the Eric Reed thing. I think it's interesting that it's the um, the Panthers specifically because of uh, Richardson, obviously not there anymore, but the things that went down with him. Um, so I think it's cool that the Panthers were uh, are taking a step in the right direction and signing Reed as well. Yeah, and then my shout-out, um, this is dropping on Thursday, so I want to give a big congratulations to one of our most loyal listeners to the podcast. Darren Nakauchi is getting married today in Hawaii to Jordan Toyama, who Jesse and I know, uh, her brother George Toyama. We went to elementary school with him. So Darren and Jordan, they've been together for like 14 years. It's a great story, and they're finally getting married um, today. So congratulations, and thank you so much for listening, Darren. Every time we check our SoundCloud listens, your name is always there, so we appreciate it. And uh, best of luck in the future with uh, Jordan and everyone involved. That's super dope. Yeah, congrats to, to Jordan and Darren. Yeah, congrats to both of them. Uh, I love to hear it. Uh, I played against George in high school one time, uh, so that was pretty big. Uh, <laughs> and also, on top of that, just on the marriage note, any news for us, Nick? No news yet. Um, you know, we are now in the Culver City studio, as Jesse has seen, and that's the latest news. Uh, we will, as I told you the last time you tried to corner me with this question, uh, we, will, <laughs> we will progress happily into our future, and any news will be... Um, alerted to you guys as uh, as it happens. Well, as okay. also Nick just said this, you know, I am here in the Culver City location where they both uh, live. It's very homey, you know. It's it feels like a home uh, right now. It feels like a you know, it feels like something that could be you know, you could put a white dress in the corner to get it ready. You know, it just looks like the right kind of spot. It's definitely brewing. I can feel it from here. The distance, you know, there's no separation anxiety. I can feel the love in the air. Um, that's just, that's great to see it. It makes me happy, Nick. Thank you. Uh, Saul, I believe you have, I'm going to save Nick here for a sec. Appreciate that. Uh, so you got, you got something for us as well. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. This is a shout out. Uh, and I was going to preface this. So I was on Twitter as the episode began and I actually was tweeting this out right before we started. But uh, ABC7 entertainment guru, George Pinocchio, uh, he seems to have made a connection with the BTS ARMY, which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, the Korean pop band, uh, maybe the most popular band in the world right now. Uh, and they are really a run social media. So I will watch George tweet out uh, basically, you know, either an update about them or news or information whenever in Los Angeles doing a great job reporting on entertainment, as he always does. Yesterday, a fan sent him flowers, and the tweet received 9,000 retweets and 27,000 likes, something like that. 
So me, the ever savvy Twitter person, I, I sent a reply to George and I said, hey George, this is crazy. Every time you do this, maybe I should start tweeting about hashtag BTS Army. I'm sure some of them like sports. George kindly uh, said, yes they do, and then shouted me out to the BTS Army, and they have now been blowing up my notifications during this episode. So I just like to be known that I am declaring myself the official BTS Army sports correspondent, and I will be making that official with a tweet coming up later today. Wow, so maybe that's how you got verified. Shout out to BTS. (laughs) Shout out to to George too, by the way. Great guy, uh, entertainment reporter for ABC7. Always was very nice to me when I worked there, and so big shout out to him, and congratulations on your new uh, Twitter following there, Sully. You are verified now. I'm not sure if it's because of the BTS or because George, but either way, uh, it looks like things are happening for you on Twitter. Yes, someone has replied to me and told me that they will help guide me, BTS as far as positivity. Uh, another fan replied and said, the only sport I like is fencing. So uh, I guess I should learn a little bit more about fencing and things like that, but it's been fun so far. That's a huge thing. Uh, super pumped for that. I'm, I'm doing my research right now as, as I talk about it, but uh, we love to see the BTS army backing Sully and backing us by uh, a, yeah. a connection there. By proxy, exactly, yes. And as we mentioned, it is National Taco Day. And so if you're listening to this in the morning, you can get a taco, but at lunch, go to Lucky Boy. Or if you got a taco for lunch, at dinner, go to Lucky Boy. It's a great place. You already heard us talk about it, but they are open and willing to cater, willing to host you in the restaurant. And uh, I don't know if Jesse's gonna be heading there today like he always does after most podcasts. You know what time it is. You know, it's a little bit further than normal because I am here in Culver City, but I am gonna take that drive, get off the freeway, pop up right at Lucky Boy because it is right off the freeway for your delicious tongue needs. Um, and they do have taco. They have tacos for you as well on this National Taco Day. So go ahead and grab a taco if you want to make a switch from the breakfast burrito. Maybe you're a hero, uh, which is a fun fact. Lucky Boy taught me how to pronounce hero because um, I always called it a gyro before I went there. So uh, go ahead and grab a taco uh, at Lucky Boy. And quickly, just not on a Lucky Boy topic, but more breaking news for the podcast. I just want to get this in quickly at the end. The Brewers have announced that game one for them will be a bullpen day as well, just like the A's. Wow. Um, it's, a, it's a crazy time in baseball, and I am absolutely here for it. The only way to celebrate that more is to go get some Lucky Boy food. Tune in again next time, folks. Make sure you follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Zanga, MySpace, anywhere you can log on. You can find us, show some love. We'll connect on LinkedIn. We'll have a great time. This has been episode 81, I guess the Mamba Points episode. And uh, we'll see you real soon.